0: Thanks for tuning into Age Scotland's Conversations. Um, this month is Pride Month and we're talking to Greg and Crawford who in the 1970s helped set up the first gay discos in Edinburgh. So we talked to him about his experience of setting these up, uh, a lot of the successes and challenges involved in doing so, how life has changed over the last 50 years as a gay man living in Scotland, and the work that he was part of as part of the Scottish Minorities Group decades ago who were campaigning for change and were working with politicians such as Robin Cook and Malcolm Rifkind to do so. I, I really hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I did talking with them.
1: Hi, I'm Greg and Crawford. Um, I'm an older gay person and uh, I was active, very active in gay rights and things in Edinburgh in the early days, on the, back in the 70s, and uh, got involved with uh, social activities and setting up uh, discotheques. Um, we used to have um, a very informal discotheque uh, which was run in the university's chaplaincy center in the basement um and that's when i joined the scottish minorities group which was the gay rights organization back then and uh, i would go along to socialize and everything Uh, no alcohol involved just coffee and they had some quaint rules and things like no kissing and petting rule five uh This were very different days from from now, obviously. In the summer of 1974, I went over to the U.S., to California, and I experienced the the gay life there for a period and uh, just for for a few weeks on vacation. And I thought, hmm, we could do with something more like this back home. So on returning to Edinburgh, um, I was active in the social club, part of the... uh, of the Scottish Minorities Group, and so I set about organising uh, licensed discos. Back then, the licensing laws were quite different, and the pubs closed at 10 o'clock, can you believe? And uh, there was nothing to go on to afterwards, so people's social lives were very different. They tended to go and have coffee in coffee bars or go home for parties in people's homes which was actually quite good and, and it's something we lost when the licensing hours were extended in 76. However, in those days, it was necessary if you wanted to run a licensed event, you as the organiser of the event had to apply for the ex- licence extension for an existing licensed premises. Uh, they couldn't do it themselves. Um, so I uh, managed to organise um, the first of these discos, in as we called them back then, um, in uh, uh, a bar called Nicky Tams, which was on Victoria Street in in Edinburgh, and it was on several floors. It was on three floors, and uh, the middle floor was where we held the discos, and uh, and on the the um, uh, one of the other floors, we, we had food. You always had to have food with a license in those days. It was part of the, uh, the conditions. So we would organize this, and a friend of mine usually ran the, the disco itself, did the, did the DJ part, and I and a couple of others basically organized the selling of tickets, mostly in, in the gay pubs in Edinburgh.
0: So how many people um, would be going to these discos?
1: Well, in the, uh, the very beginning, it was it was um, uh, oh, I, I suppose maybe a hundred people, something like that. Um, by 1976, when we'd graduated to more frequent and uh, much bigger discos in a in a, a, a mecca uh, premises in St Stephen Street in Stockbridge in Edinburgh. Um, it's no longer there. It's now housing. But it was known as Tiffany's back in those days, mm. and then it became Cinderella Rockefellers later. Um, but we would go there on a Monday night because that was a night when they had no custom, really, and it was easy to get an arrangement and book the place out. By the end, uh, when we finished, um, it rose to 700 people. Uh-huh. Um, going. They came from all over Scotland, uh, to to this disco, there was no commercial scene really then. Mm-hmm. But the moment that uh, uh, th- our discos ceased, and I'll explain what happened there, um, then the commercial scene uh, took off with, um, with uh, discos in in a, a bar in, F- in Fire Island, um, in, in uh, Princess Street, actually above Watches of Switzerland, as it was then. Mm-hmm. It's now it's now. Uh, um, uh, Waterston's bookshop, in fact, so it's quite strange going there to to buy books and <sighs> remember the old days.
0: <laughs> I was going to say that people coming from all over Scotland were there. Other parts of the country that had similar things going on, but maybe not not really. not, no. not
1: initially. I mean, it the the moment, there was stuff going on in Glasgow, but people did come through from Glasgow to to our discos, and people certainly came down from from Dundee uh, and even. Uh, further north, uh, not not in great numbers, obviously. It was mostly an Edinburgh uh, event, but um, it 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 was quite popular. And it, they were held relatively rarely, once every two months initially, mm-hmm. and then once every month by the end. So they came to an end, unfortunately, because um, Eric Morley, the the owner and boss of of Becca, um, came down to to case the joint uh, with a view to running a, a miss world in uh, in the uh, Stockbridge um, tiffanys okay. place and brought his uh, directors with him and uh, and they decided that this was not appropriate sort of business to have gay people having discos in the, in a family run business like theirs with uh, mm. with miss world and everything <laughs> well I,
0: I was just wondering about the there must have been some considerable challenges in not least just setting these up but sort of operating them at the time you know
1: what we had a very sympathetic manager actually on the at, at the, the local manager for the mecca place and uh, and he was perfectly happy he was getting a lot of money in um, mm-hmm. in the bar and um, we were um, well behaved crowd. Um, uh, the police, uh, who obviously take an interest in extended licences like this, never had any trouble, and they were perfectly happy with what we did, and um, it kept people from going to other places where they shouldn't have been going to, perhaps, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, to meet people. And uh, so so it, it worked out um, pretty well from that perspective, and... It was incredibly popular, but uh, in fact, it it finished during the Edinburgh Festival. We had three licences during the nineteen seventy six Edinburgh Festival, and uh, we ran weekly uh, events. And uh, the I, I didn't have the heart to tell people that the third one was the last one. Uh, I had contracts with with Mecca, and I insisted that they they follow through, and they did, and they just didn't. Uh, they weren't allowed. Uh, the local man, the, the local manager, wasn't allowed to uh, enter into further contracts with us. So that so ended
0: that. ended after the contracts end. So where, yeah, ended, as yeah. the sort of time went on and and sort of decades progressed, how you know how do you feel that the kind of the, uh, the discos and clubs and bars, obviously Edinburgh in a sense, has has, has many. But how do you feel that that um, Sort of social scene has developed and progressed for the better or or worse, perhaps?
1: Well, it, it, I mean, the the change of the licensing laws in 1976 in Scotland made an enormous difference. First of all, bars opened uh, standard till 11 o'clock, but many, um, the, the, the law was quite flexible, actually, much more flexible than the Secretary of State Willie Ross back then really wanted it to be, but it it was slipped through with one or two amendments in in Parliament in in Westminster. Of course, there was no devolution back then, um, so um, many places could open till really quite late and continue to do so. Of course, to this day, um, it meant that uh, a lot of gay bars um, came about. Um, that, that from a disco perspective. Uh, The Fire Island was very popular and went on for many years and had some pretty big uh, names of people attending um, occasionally as as sort of guest performers, including Eartha Kitt uh, and uh, Divine, who is a popular drag artist, and... uh, People from other people of similar standing in in the entertainment world would come along, and and so it was. They were very popular, and they were weekly as well. Um, so it wasn't restricted to sort of monthly or bi monthly events. But you know, we'd made the progress, and I think it was the fact, the success of our uh, discos in the earlier days, that led um, entrepreneurs to set up and start running. Um, discos mm-hmm. in, in, in a time you have to remember back then that this was technically before law reform in Scotland mm-hmm. uh, that um, law reform came to England um, and Wales back in 1969 I think I'm not sure exact timing um, but it didn't actually arrive properly in in, in Scotland until uh, 1980 81 um, there were differences in the way the law was administered in Scotland, um, uh, Sexual Offences Act and things like that. And because of the law of evidence in Scotland requiring two witnesses, it made it more difficult anyway. Um, it would, I suppose, involve threesomes or something. Um, but um, also the procurator fiscal in Scotland had made it known that he wasn't going to prosecute um, consensual sex between... Uh, men over the age of sixteen, which was actually better than in England.
0: That's I was going to ask about the how, you know, the sort of society has changed, and you sort of mentioned oh, the, 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 the the you know the difference even between Scotland and England in terms of the law and the sort of decade, two decades, uh, sort of in terms of some kind of parity in the law. But how is it? You I, know, where I, where think,
1: I think that actually we had it. it this is a problem. Um, in Scotland, those who, were, who like me, who were in the know, knew how the law was being administered. It was a much more liberal place than in England in many ways. The, particularly after the law was changed in England, there were some very strict interpretations of the law. Um, it was, the law said um, it was okay to have sex between consenting adults in private. but. It didn't describe what private was, and hotels Mm -hmm. didn't count as private, for example. Um, And if there were other people living in the same house, Mm -hmm. that wasn't private either. And so these very narrow interpretations in England, that nonsense didn't happen in Scotland. And even though the law was technically um, against this happening, because of the procurator fiscal's position, um, it didn't... um, the reality is that it was much more liberal but there was always a problem that if the procurator fiscal changed or the or the political um, situation changed there was no protection it could have gone backwards mm-hmm. very quickly so it needed a change of the law and that's why we fought back then to get the law changed
0: and, and it's been uh, a long and it's been a long fight over decades oh, yes. and decades to to where we are now oh
1: yes, i mean, I mean dramatically different dramatically just thinking different.
0: about just think about this month is is, is pride month and yeah. normally with coronavirus was uh, notwithstanding there would be far more celebration as public we know there's so many uh, online hosted events now but yeah. how just in your how how have things changed over even the last decade oh
1: gosh um I think that with gay marriage and, and civil partnerships before it, um, particularly with civil partnerships, because I think the transition to gay marriage was a minor transition, in my view, compared to the arrival of civil partnerships. Um, the, the fact of that and 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 made people much more accepting. I think. I mean, it really did change people's attitudes. I mean, of course, we had the dreadful period of AIDS uh, when, mm-hmm. when things were beginning just before the AIDS epidemic started. Um, things were beginning to improve, but it, it, it was a big setback with AIDS uh, in terms of public attitudes and so on, and uh, took a long time to get past that. And but it's if... thinking about
0: the sort of, I suppose, as people are getting older, and you know, I think there's certainly a point upon which those that are now in their 70s, um, 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and beyond who had been firmly in the closet as they were sort of growing up and, and through their 20s and 30s. There is a really fascinating film called Return to the Closet of those people who are now much older, who might be receiving social care, who are finding themselves having to sort of regress, in a sense, publicly. I, uh, What do you think the kind of... Um, these kind of challenges and how do we overcome that
1: well i i I do think that in some in some cases it's it's in people's minds that 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 they need to go back into the closet um it's a difficult one because Mm. i've always been pretty out and and i've never i've been lucky i'm middle class i'm uh i've had good jobs and i've had uh a lot of I've never, I've never felt uh, oppressed, really, in any way. I suppose I've kind of been a fairly politically active sort of person, so I mm. was prepared to break some boundaries and things. But um, I personally would have no problem if, if I find ended find myself ending up in a old people's home, which maybe may may happen. Who knows? Um, uh, I, I would insist on on, on uh, continuing and. To 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 live my gay life, as it were. Well, I mean, but, um, I, I certainly wouldn't be in the closet about it, but I can understand why some would feel that. And it's a, it's a kind of for, for as a guy, I, I'm, I'm and I have a partner, and and uh, we're we're known locally, and uh, it's it's widely uh, there's no there's never had any problems with that. That's not true for many people, no. though. Uh, particularly from from um, more working class sort of if I can use that sort of term uh, areas they have more difficulty and it's taking more time but I think it is changing um, I, I detect that it's changing I'm no expert in that but <laughs> uh, uh, I, I do think that folk of all areas are having it relatively easier. maybe sometimes some of the baME, Areas could be more difficult. The mm-hmm. religious aspects are, uh, are still. Um, in some some religions, are much more down on on gay people than others, and I think that could uh, uh, make a big difference. Uh, that's maybe where the the biggest barriers are in some respects than uh, today.
0: And do you find that sort of younger people now in Scotland are their sort of attitudes? Are far more tolerant than uh, people who aren't gay and older. Or do you think that broadly speaking, there is far more tolerance uh, and and not tolerance but acceptance and, and kind of you know of everybody across all ages? Or is it is there still people who just just don't get it? Uh,
1: it's living in in Edinburgh in Stockbridge. Um, it's and working with and associating with the people I do, I don't see yeah. any problems I have to say, but then you know you have to take that into account when when listening to what I say because there, I couldn't really comment easily on that one. Uh, I personally have not I, I have noticed a, a, a big improvement in over my life. Uh, it's been gradual and some you know there are big sudden changes, although the gay marriage and gay, gay civil partnerships, Really did make a difference at the time. I think now mm-hmm. that's a good ten years ago now, and uh, it, it it did change things. Even there was a step change. I, f- I felt back then, um, but uh, so there were a lot of there was a lot of progress in a relatively short time, particularly as the AIDS epidemic got under control uh, mm-hmm. to a greater extent, and drugs became available, which meant that this was no longer a, a death sentence uh, mm-hmm. uh, for folk uh, and so on. Well,
0: What's next for Scotland? Where you know you you talked about the kind of the progress made under civil partnerships and gay marriage. What's next? Where? What else needs to, to change?
1: I, I don't know. I mean, in the gay in the gay aspect, I I think uh, I'm pretty positive about it all. Actually, as you're probably coming across from this mm-hmm. this conversation, but. Um, I, i there's such a dramatic change in my lifetime i mean when i was when i was young older guys didn't come out um, they found it really difficult mm-hmm. i remember a professor at the university who did come out and he kind of went through an adolescence at the age of what he must have been 60 i think mm-hmm. and i've seen that more than once with people who finally come to terms with being gay quite late in life they go through a Period, which is really quite similar to adolescence in teenagers and things okay. in the way that they behave. It's it's quite fascinating, really. So it's.
0: Uh, and do you think there'll be more people now that there is? You know, there's been a lot of progress made. Who are older? Who are coming out later on in life? Have you got any experience of this? You know of any kind of people who have sort of felt more liberated? I know
1: people, well, I know people who are married to to uh, um, people of the opposite sex mm-hmm. and and are, you know, it's a really difficult position to mm-hmm. be they have children and it they felt at their time that maybe they you know, they weren't strongly gay or maybe they were you know, on the spectrum sort of more bisexual I don't know but um, it it uh, they they've kind of I don't like to use the word trapped because I dare say they had very good marriages in many cases but mm-hmm. they they missed the boat, as it were. Um, life uh, was just not at the right stage for them when they when they were growing up, and and uh, and, and and I guess I was lucky in that I was in my twenties when I came out, mm-hmm. which was late, really. I mean, I was twenty five when I came out, and uh, 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 to myself, let alone to anybody else, mm-hmm. and and uh, because I just couldn't identify with with. Uh, what in those days were these sort of uh, stereotypes, Larry Grayson and uh, and the like. Uh, I just didn't see that. And I remember going to see a film um, uh, with Peter Finch, uh, what was it called, Sunday Bloody Sunday, and there was a, a scene in there where, the, where, where he, he kisses his young lover, uh, another guy, and I was kind of shocked, actually, because I just... Didn't think that that was what gay people were, and uh, can you imagine that today? That's just not uh, the way people would react at all today. And but that's what it was like back then, and worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, so things have come a dramatically long way since since the nineteen seventies. Even you know,
0: yes, yeah, not it seems like a long time ago, but it's also not a long time ago, is it? Um, I for a lot of people. Not, <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, so it's, progress 50, it's 50 years <laughs> I guess it's 50 years now sort of more or less so. yeah. but that's that's you know it's a whole of my adult life lifetime really so um, uh, here we go
0: and looking at just sort of looking looking ahead and looking at those people who are younger um, what's the kind of the relationship like between sort of different generations um,
1: now I think it's pretty good I mean one of the things that was quite good about the earlier days of that, that, that's maybe not quite so true now. Um, was that people from all all walks of life mixed together? Mm-hmm. They would go to gay bars, and you would have lawyers, you'd have bus drivers, you'd have uh, you know a complete cross section of society was there. Mm-hmm. And we all talked to each other, and I think that was very healthy, mm-hmm. and um, it 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 made for uh, you know we were obviously in a in a closeted group as it were, because mm-hmm. you'd go to the gay bar and you would. Some people would be sneaking in, hoping they weren't being seen by <laughs> neighbours and, and friends. Uh, but uh, that uh, that relationship was was truly good. I think um, I don't think that there's, that there's the distinction between um, between gay and straight as they used to be and um, uh, young people today just mix, and it doesn't matter. There, uh, I've, I've I've lots of friends from from. Who are, who are a good bit younger just through uh, connections with other things I do and some of them are gay some of them are are, are straight and, and they all just get on with each other and and mix socially and they, they don't gay bars really don't exist very much anymore I mean they've they've almost vanished because people don't seem the need see the need for them and uh and that's healthy in many ways. I think uh, it. And uh, of course, the world has changed with social media. Um, it used to be that you would go to a gay bar to meet people and to and, and to uh, cop off, as they as <laughs> they, they would say. Uh, but now, um, grinder is, is, is the is is the way that most young people will will meet other other gay people and so on. New way of and, the world. It is, yes. I don't think it's a better way necessarily. <sighs> um, you know, you, you don't really know who you're meeting through that method. And uh, it's, the, the chase is, is was, was was some of the fun uh, back then. <sighs> I don't think you get that so much with social media. So it's changed. It has changed. Uh, it would, wouldn't suit me, I don't think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about, you know, from what you know now and who you are now, Looking back to a sort of younger Gregan, what would you? What advice would you give him and and your friends? You know, gr- growing up.
1: Gosh, be brave and, and get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, I had a fairly active social life when I was young, uh, and still do to some extent. But I mean, I'm I'm now am uh, in a monogamous relationship, but mm-hmm. it's. Uh, uh, back then I was anything but uh, but uh, uh, and so I, I think that I think that people are haven't changed in some ways but I mean they've just got the freedom to you now to, to do things that they didn't have back then and, uh, and there are no penalties for, for coming out uh, these days I think or very very few And if there are penalties, then you're perhaps in the wrong area and uh, Mm -hmm. you need to move away from Mm that.
0: Just think again about being Pride Month, and you talked earlier on about the sort of different celebrations that would have been going on normally. Is there anything that you've seen that's been happening online or anywhere else that you've found like great? uh,
1: You mean uh, mean in this time of lockdown? Yeah. Uh, um, well, to be honest with you, I've not been really looking. On I've the been library. looking, and that's
0: it. That <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah. I just I suppose part of it was just looking at you know how how the world is sort of slightly changed, and adapted to this, and whether you know such an important month um, actually to uh, has yeah. been you know what you know has has kind of what's been going online enough, or you know will we just kind of wait with bated breath for 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 next year.
1: Well, I suppose it's really to wait for next year. Last year, um, we're, here we are talking in 2020, and mm. it's, it's last year, 19, uh, 20, 2019, um, was the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Yeah. Um, and that was an enormous celebration yeah. at the time. I mean, there were many TV programs, and Pride was really big. Um, here in Edinburgh, I was on the Pride March, of course, and, uh, and uh, that would have been around about now if it had been happening this year but it isn't um so that was that was a big big time and there was lots on television and i think that was a real demonstration of the progress made in 50 years yeah i mean of course that um, stone wall was in the in the u.s and in, in new york back then in fact as it happens i was in new york a few days before but uh mm. didn't completely unaware of, of anything that was happening but uh that's just one of those things, isn't it? Aspect. I mean, one of the, the reasons we did the discos, apart from the social side of it, which was obviously very, very important, is that it raised us raised a lot of money uh, for us, and with that, we were able to buy um, premises in Broughton Street. Uh, the uh, uh, there's a, a number sixty Broughton Street was the uh, the gay centre, um, which was purchased literally from. Well, there was a very generous donor who who uh, who financed it, but uh, uh, to a large extent. But the money that we raised went towards the uh, the mortgage for for mm-hmm. the place, and and that allowed us to do our our political um, uh, campaigning work for for gay rights and other things that. That um, I did myself was, you know, I would go and see MPs and, and talk to them about getting law reform. And one of the people who was quite helpful to us was Robin Cook, mm-hmm. who was at that day's the the MP for Edinburgh Central, as it was Westminster constituency in, the, in those days. And, and and I would say he was very very important in 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 getting law reform in Scotland sorted. And um, probably not widely known, perhaps that that was the case. But uh, he had been a town councillor in, mm-hmm. in Edinburgh, along with Malcolm Rifkind, and, and the two of them were actually vice presidents of the uh, of SMG, the Scottish Minorities Group. Really? Um, yeah. What? And uh, and so, political side of things was was important, and back then, and and going to see people and try and. Motivate mm-hmm. folk to, to do law reform and so on,
0: and help to drive change. So kind of that exactly. money that you could use you sort of raise from the discos helps to kind of purchase a you oh, know a hub We raised to kind thousands. Of, yeah,
1: we raised thousands, and that went towards paying off the the, the mortgage mm-hmm. and um, and the debt. Um, so so that that worked out very well, and and it gave us a, a public face with with a shop front, with mm-hmm. things in the windows that people
0: could see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I, do you know, I did not know that about Robin Cook or Malcolm Rifkin at all. That's really okay. that's really quite oh. fascinating. I said just ask more questions and I'll get more. more kind oh, of well, these. you could ask it away. So you know, well, that I'll just is. tell us very briefly, a little bit more about kind of what went on at 60 Broughton Street, you know, and yeah, I suppose well, it, the, the real question is, you know, uh, how did the kind of the purchase of 60 Broughton Street, how did that kind of drive change
1: um, associated with with what the work the other work that was done by SMG apart from campaigning and running discos was befriending um, this this was a, a a telephone service which was run by volunteers uh, from the basement of Broughton street it was on two floors and initially we had tenants that we couldn't get rid of and eventually. They, they moved and we were able to take over the the, the basement. <laughs> Ironically, the uh, the uh, premises at sixty Broughton Street before it was uh, our offices was a hairdresser's. <laughs> so it seems sort of ironic, really. um, But anyway, in the basement was was private was a private flat, and and we kind of merged the two together after we we after the tenants um, moved on. In fact, it turned out that the person who had been privately funding the upstairs. Um, bought another flat somewhere and moved them so that was pretty generous um, of mm-hmm. that individual mm-hmm. uh, and anyway um, in the basement was um, a befriending service and uh, there would be a telephone number which people could phone and it was advertised in various places and um, gay magazines and gay and, and, and wider actually and folk would phone in from all over Scotland to this and um, they would, they'd they need someone to talk to mm-hmm. and uh, they they just talked sort of uh, it was a kind of counselling service in a way and it helped people come to terms with things and they weren't sure whether they were gay or they mm-hmm. were in difficult situations and they didn't know what to do and it probably saved a few lives actually um, suicide and things like that uh, that was very valuable, and that was work that was done um, out of uh, out of sixty Broughton street or fifty eight a i suppose technically mm-hmm. um, and um, so those were the some of the aspects of of the work that we did as a, as an organization it doesn 't exist anymore unfortunately, but maybe fortunately there 's no not such a need for such such organizations it later changed to become the homosexual rights group scottish minorities group was a bit of a euphemism mm-hmm. and, uh, but the necessary kind of name that would have for the been, time uh, like, for the time yeah um malcolm rifkin would we'd, we'd have evenings um in the office where we'd have meetings and people could come along and uh, and we'd have subjects and topics to talk about and Robin Cook and, and Malcolm Rifkin would would come along. I remember going to a pub up the road with um, after one of these events and talking to to Robin about uh, what could be done for law reform and, uh, and getting repeal of the of of the existing. We thought you know maybe just a simple a simple uh, act of parliament which repealed repealed the existing law would would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. but Eventually, the law went through from um, through the House of Lords at first, and when it started in the House of Lords, and went to the Commons, and went back to the Lords uh, to to finish off. So that was how law reform happened
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, eventually, and uh, so. Uh,
0: so, some very effective nearly, lobbying going
1: on. <laughs> it was nearly scuppered actually, because the the, the prevailing uh, newspaper at the time was Gay News. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, didn't pay too much attention to the the uh, political or- order in which things happened. I mean, you will know f- that that laws are uh, either start in the Commons and go to the Lords and back to the Commons, or the other way around. Um, and um, Gay News knew that it had come to the Commons and gone back, but it hadn't yet finished. It had, They thought it had, and uh, they splashed across the front page of... of uh, the uh, of the, the next edition of Gay News, MPs passed orgy law. Um, well, <laughs> they hadn't passed it, and they hadn't been finished. And the reality was that it was a slight improvement on what was happening in England, as I explained earlier. The uh, the law in England meant that uh, you pri- pri- private was really tightly con- uh, um, uh, interpreted by the police, and in those days the police and uh, there was no. There was no crown office. It was the police who decided what was being prosecuted, unlike in Scotland, which was uh, procurator fiscal always. But um, it did give rise to questions in the House of Lords when it returned back to the Lords for its for its third reading, and it jolly nearly um, sunk it. It was uh, quite bad, uh, quite dangerous. But there we go.
0: So got away with it. Going too early, in a sense, could have could have sunk sunk the whole thing. Yeah, with <laughs> those, It's quite quite a headline, isn't it? Um, yeah. To have, and I'm sure not to, Well, that's been incredibly fascinating uh, talking okay. to you, Greg And I just want to okay. really thank you. Thank you very much for for doing so.
1: Oh I'm glad I hope, hope hope it's helpful to somebody. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, thanks to Greg for taking the time to speak to us. Um, I really hope you enjoyed listening, and thanks for tuning in to Age Scotland's conversations.
1: Words matter. They give us comfort and help us stay connected. With Age Scotland, you are not alone. Our friendship line is open, Monday to Friday, 9am until 5pm. Call us free on 0800 12 44 22. That's 0800 12 44 two. Visit agescotland.org.uk Age Scotland, the national charity for older people.